Hey everybody, Scott Lees here. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm here with my good friend Richard Harris and today we are joined by David Walter. David who lives I believe just down the road from me in uh, the San Antonio area. How's it going David? Excellent. I'm actually uh, celebrating today because uh, just a couple days ago I got my negative results after having COVID. I finally got negative and this is my first day back to be with you guys so I'm super hyped. Yeah we're, we're uh, obviously glad you're you're on the mend and, and feeling good, and, and we're going to want to touch upon that because, as, like we were talking about offline, I think you're the first guest that we've had who's you know tested positive for COVID. I think we've had a couple others that think that they had it but didn't really know for sure. So we'll want to get into uh, get into all that stuff. Um, so thanks for thanks for spending some time with us here today, David. Oh, I'm excited! I'm excited. Oh, we're uh, our, our 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 show real quick. Our show today is brought to you by. Lead 411, where you can get unlimited mobile direct phone numbers, sales data via role changes, jobs, and funding, and a slick Chrome extension that plugs into LinkedIn. So check out lead411.com when you have a chance and give some love to, uh, to our sponsor. So David, for, for context, tell everybody who you are, what you do, and uh, what your, your current sales experience and role is all about. Sure. Yeah. And glad to be on the show, guys, uh, especially the surf and sales podcast because I just got back from Costa Rica last year and I can't hey. say I surfed. I tried to surf. That's our, that's our <laughs> Hopefully spot. I get invited yeah. to your next surf and sales and maybe I'll actually surf uh, that one. Although I need to lose a few pounds. I think that was what held me, held me back last time. <laughs> I, I battle that every time we go. That That is my biggest part. So I, I'm with you, but it's you know, the lessons quick, are included. So that's the good news. Yeah. That quick jump on the board. But uh, anyway, thanks for the question. Um, uh, Scott, I uh, wrote a book called uh, The Million Dollar Rebuttal. And so what I'm focused on now is coaching people. Um, we'll talk, we'll get in deep about this, but you know, about 25 years ago, I did something phenomenal. I, I set 15 appointments a day every day for six months. I set over 1,800 appointments consecutively each day. Um, and I've got on my website, I've got the manager that I worked with, the owner that verifies that. The manager has written a preface to my book verifying that it's true. It's unbelievable. But when I did it, I was just trying to make money. I didn't realize until later that what I had come up with would revolutionize cold calling completely. And so I ran a cold call center for 13 years after that, applying those principles, helping other companies make millions by just making cold calls. And uh, now what I do is uh, I focus on coaching and really just trying to spread the word that just trying to, destroy my publishing company is called Iconoclast Publishing. I'm trying to destroy these old myths that cold calling is a numbers game, uh, that a prospect has to have a need, all these things that just make it super hard when it's so easy when you get rid of what you move away from all those myths into what really, really works. And so that's what I'm focused on now is trying to sell the book, coach people. Um, and I've created a whole video system now that people can download. They don't even need to hire me to coach. They can watch the video. So that's kind of what I focus on now. When you talk about, and, and I, I don't want to make you give away too much, right? Like I, I got it, but um, we do like to talk a little bit of tactics. So what do you say if it's not a numbers game? What, what is, what is your rationale in, in terms of getting people to change that belief system? Cause I agree with you. It's, it's not a numbers game, right? It's quality over quantity, but how do you express that? Well, um, I listened to some podcasts that you were on, uh, Richard, and you love the gap. 
uh, and I, I worked at a, a company called Jay Riggins owned by Edison Brothers back in the day. I don't know if you've ever seen that store. Yeah, I remember uh, Jay Riggins, yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, so we had similar experiences where customers come in and they say, I'm just looking. I've uh, heard you talk about that. And so that, that, was, that was my, to broach that subject about, you know, uh, well, that's, that's the numbers game. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. But uh, we'll follow back up on that. That, you know, people say, I'm just looking ties in the co-calling, but uh, the numbers game was something that when I was co-calling, what I did is I picked up a copy of See You at the Top by Zig Ziglar. And what I started doing is I, I had a situation where my dad's company, I had helped to make a million dollars. Then we hit the 90s recession and it went bankrupt. It's a company he had for over 20 years. Uh, and I had to get a job and I got one working at CSI, which is where I did all this appointment setting that we're talking about, 15 appointments a day. But I didn't start out setting 15 appointments. Um, everybody there set two appointments a day. And I needed to make the money to help my parents and thus buy land and do all this stuff was my objective. With the commission base and the bonuses and everything, it looked like I could do it. But people weren't doing, they were only setting two and I'd have to set a lot more to make that money. And so that's when I picked the book up and I started doing what Zig said. Now, I had read uh, Awaken the Giant and other books about the subconscious mind, but it was a situation and it was, this book that got me to look in the mirror and claim my qualities. You guys know what I'm talking about? I've never heard that phrase before. Yeah. So, um, dosh gone it. People like me. I am somebody, <laughs> but I would look in the mirror and I'd say, I am going to set 15 appointments today with passion. That's what Zig says. You look in the mirror, you claim your qualities as if you have them already. And I did that every day for a long period of time. And then one day I set them, and so one of the, to talk about the numbers game, that was one of the phases to revolutionize cold calling. To set 15 appointments a day, I would have to revolutionize cold calling completely. And we'll get into some of those things, but one of those things is the idea of numbers game because that holds people back. And the best way to talk about this is the movie um, Pursuit of Happiness. Have you guys seen it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great, great movie. Yeah. So the audience probably, it's a good reference point for the audience. And there's a YouTube video that um, capsulates this. You've probably seen it where he's sitting at his desk and he's explaining why he's not able to get from the, the bottom to the top of his list, right? Because he comes in late, um, you know, because all the thing with the homelessness that he has, um, he only has so many hours a day, so he doesn't drink, he doesn't hang the phone up, all that stuff. But what's interesting is I'll zero right in on it. He's, he's actually at the bottom of one of the lists and he's talking about how he's never got to the top. And so what he does is he moves his pen up to the top of the list to Walter Ribbon. He calls him, and obviously uh, he goes over there, meets him. He doesn't make a sale, but he gets invited to that football game where he meets all those people, and it's like that's where he gets all his contacts. So, so backwards, what's happening is what he did was randomly call a, a name, and he didn't go in order. So the numbers game, I define that as calling a, a list in consecutive order right? You have 100 leads, you could have 200, and you could be look, working off a sheet or a CRM. And they're all, not, they're all sequenced. And so I call company number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. That's the numbers game. The idea is to do that and call 100 people a day. That's the numbers game. And so what happens is when you're doing that, what I've realized is that we're doing something systematic when the world we're calling is random completely random and trying to take 
a systematic process and put and match it up with a random process just doesn't fit. And so what I mean by that is when I'm calling, when I'm calling in a list and I have like 20 names here and I call the first 10, once I get to the sixth name, the seventh name, the eighth name, the first few people who that I talked to the receptionist said he's out of the office, he's in a meeting, he's on a call. You know, by the time I get to the sixth or seventh name, believe it or not, if you went back and called the first guy again, uh, he's off that call, right? In other words, that's, the list is changing dynamically. It's dynamically changing. The and restarting on number one, like, you know, next week or a few days from now or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. so, so the, the nexus of this principle is something I think I've, um, when I explain it to people, when I give talks and stuff, I just ask this question. If you have an assistant, right, uh, you know, employee or your wife or anybody, and you say, hey, we need to get in touch with our attorney or we need to get in touch with this vendor, someone you have a relationship with. And so you say, get in touch with them. So when that person, when they go to get in touch with that person, do you imagine that they're going to simply make one phone call to your attorney and the attorney answers and then you, you know, book that meeting you need, or is it going to be maybe a few emails, a few calls, and then they finally get in touch with it? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly think in most salespeople's mind, the, the image and the action is, you know, assistant picks up the phone, calls decision maker, says, hey, you should talk to so-and-so, and then direct kind of handoff and connection is made. I think that's the image that a lot of salespeople have in their mind. Yeah. Well, like, for example, right now, if, 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 if you were the, the vendor and somebody was calling in to get in touch with you, they're going to say that you're on a podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a no-go. It's a no-bueno. That's my point. In other words, when you tell someone to go get in contact with somebody, uh, it's understood. I believe most people that I ask that question to, it's understood that that's going to be a process, not one call. That I'm going to have to call several times, maybe email, maybe text, maybe leave a voicemail until finally I get in contact with that person. Does that make sense? And so the problem is what we tell, when we, what we tell um, like SDRs and BDRs, we say go make calls, right? So they come back with calls. Do they have contacts? No. So what they're doing is they call each person. And the difference is one is being told to go get in contact with one person. And they understood they're going to have to do all this extra effort to reach that person. And the other one's being told, just make a call. And they come back with no contacts. So what I'm telling people is make contact with a smaller number of people. Make contact with everybody. I want you to make contact with all these people which means bottom line is it means making three to four calls per day for about two to three days. Bottom line is if I called three times to your office, the first time you're on a podcast, the second time you could be um, on a conference call. The third time you could have left and I do it the next day. I call same so, thing by the so third day. I might have paid her. Let me ask, let me ask a question. So, and again, cause I think this is, this is fascinating and it's, it's really very simple and I've never thought about it. Like, you know, shorten your list for the day, but call them multiple times. Like I think I've done a couple of, Oh yeah, let's call them once in the morning and once in the afternoon kind of stuff. But you know, you're almost making it sound like you could call them twice before lunch. If you don't get a hold of them in your methodology, then are you opposed to, or do you like voicemails at any point? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a reason why people don't do this. They're terrified of burning their list. Right. You agree? Terrified. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, and the reason they're terrified is because they, we're getting to some exil, you know, auxiliary issues attached to this, is when they call, normally they, they go through this rigmarole of I'm calling from, and this is what the, the screener. Yeah. Right? This is so Scott, I'm calling from such and such dot com. How are blah, you? Blah, blah. Right. <laughs> so they've identified themselves, right? And then the person says, not here, they go to voicemail. Then they leave that voicemail and they say the same thing. Okay. The problem with that is people actually listen to their voicemails. Usually they, they, uh, Scott doesn't. Scott never returns my calls. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't listen to voicemails. Yeah. Well, a lot of CEOs do. But anyway, if they get a voicemail, they, if they listen to it, you cannot call them back for at least a week or two. And so what, so if you actually do that, you call two or three times a day, you identify yourself to the screener, you leave a voicemail and another voicemail, another voicemail, another voicemail, you will burn that list. I mean, you'll, they'll have a name up front. Scott Lease, do not answer, <laughs> do not transfer the call. Uh, avoid this at all costs. That, that's burning the list. So what you need to do in conjunction with this strategy is you have to, what I, you know, I, I talk about in my book. I, when I realized that when I, I first, I worked in America Bank, I called consumers, right? This job was the first one where I called businesses. And I had this, this fear, this terror, like I'm going to interrupt their call. Like they're busy working. I'm going to call and they're going to be pissed. How dare you interrupt me <laughs> when I'm working and making money. But then I realized, because I had worked at a distributorship earlier in my career, uh, and I remember all the people trying to sell us and all the calls that we, we had vendors and creditors and I call it air traffic control, right? There's this cloud of traffic, some salespeople, vendors, customers, uh, even personal calls coming in, right? And so really you can blend into that. You can just blend into that traffic. And the way you blend in is by minimizing your, your, your footprint. Hey, this is David. I'm, I'm calling for Scott. You know, there's different ways to do it. And I actually encourage people to, everything should be randomized. Never stick with one opening uh, because it's, everything's different. It's changing. And so I'll, I'll have, I do listen to the, to the reception if they're up or down, that kind of thing. Engage it based on their, they're high. I'm high. If they're down, I'm low and down. It's like, oh my God, it's a Wednesday. You know, I talk about in that book mirroring, but the bottom line is you want to minimize. Say very little. Don't identify yourself unless they ask you, right? Because most calls don't. Most vendors and people don't call in identifying themselves. And for, for context, when you, were, when you were doing all this and, and setting all these appointments, what exactly were you, you selling? What was the, the product? What was the price point? What was the length of the sales cycle? What industry were you in? I want to know about all that stuff. Yeah, it was an early PEO, Professional Employer Organization, or it used to be called employee leasing, uh, which is a, it was an arcane new concept where they would become the employer of record. They would manage the payroll. So what the payroll company, they did payroll. That was a part of the process. They provided insurance, but it was the idea of a group, grouping companies together under one payroll and getting discounts on workers' comp, on major medical, but then they would do safety management, uh, HR, and all this stuff as a package. Have, have you seen the application of this process of yours work just as well in B2B, in software, in hardware? Absolutely, in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you're selling a service, uh, most this process can work. Because I've done it for that. I've done it for IT, which IT is the, and I think you guys have some experience with IT. 
uh, is the hardest uh, thing to get to sell because people are afraid of change because the owners and people like that of they don't even want to pick up the phone though like that's the other challenge like that I mean in fairness they don't need to like they don't need to answer my call but that's always a challenge that that is the hardest industry to sell into as far as I'm concerned yeah well uh well to IT companies yes yeah, well, I, I work for IT companies selling to general businesses and general businesses are terrified of their of changing because they don't understand their techno technology themselves like their their people manage it they've somehow got their trust and they're like a doctor. If they say change the server, they change the server, right? Uh, anybody else, they don't trust them because they, they don't even understand the guy that they have right now. So that's that's why it's so scary. And it's worked. I helped uh, say the systems, and I'll talk about a story, make a million dollars by cold calling. So IT, it's worked. Employee leasing, it's worked. And it can really work for any B2B service, whether it's a long process or short process. The concepts are very simple or very similar. You still have to get in contact with the, the person. And if you're cold calling, the numbers game, what it does is when you call that often, but you still, it's only for three to four days, you don't leave a voicemail. You've just simply increased your chances. It's, it's uh, it, you know, I call three times and there's different things happening every day. And sometimes, believe it or not, sometimes, uh, Richard, uh, if you call at lunchtime, for example, everybody's gone to lunch but the owner, right? You happen to call at lunch, you get the owner on the phone, he answers the phone or she, or if you call in the evening uh, a little late, the owner works late, you may get them on the phone. Yeah. So if, by varying your calling and calling different times, what I did is I increased my contacts to where I was talking to 40 prospects every day. I was getting in contact with 40. By using this technique and some of the other ways of getting around the gatekeeper, but mainly the numbers game, yeah. increase my contacts. Because if I'm going to set 15 appointments, that, that's how this all changed. If that's your target, everything has to change. I have to, I have to get in contact with triple the number of people I normally was, right? You basically, you've humanized the, you know, the connect leader, connect and sell sort of power dialer and doing it yourself. Because I've worked with those dialers and, and you know, if nobody picks up, it does call back at the end of the day, right? Like, or, or the next time it goes through the cycles through the list. So really, really, really smart. Where did, where did your acumen for sales even come from? Were you, were you the, the hustler as a kid, always hawking something? Um, <laughs> you know, what, what was your background with that? I did landscaping and, and low, I mowed lawns as a kid. I washed cars. Uh, we lived in the country in Louisiana. I'd sold eggs. Uh, we, we had chickens that laid brown eggs, so I'd go around selling brown eggs. Um, then I had a bigger landscaping company when I lived in Maryland. Um, you know, so, yeah, I've always had that. My dad was an entrepreneur, so that was in my spirit. And uh, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People to get my first job at Jay Riggins, and that had a huge I tell people my book is like a filtering of the principles and how to win friends and influence people into if I was going to be a cold caller. Right. Right. But a subset that this, just to be fair to the audience, it, it's not just the numbers game concept. Really there's another one that goes in touch with that. You have to qualify your list. I, I went out to Plano to train a, a huge IT company that's, that's global. They're telemarketing operations. And I spent all my time training them two or three weeks in rebuttals and objections and scripts and, you know, you believing, belief, belief in the company, belief that the, this concept works because belief is the final piece. If you don't believe, if I tell you the number of game works and you don't believe it, you won't even try it. You won't even use it. But I did, I was doing all that. And then um, we got on the phone and I, I want when I do this in person, I like to get, I like to teach and get them on the phone and then hear that they're implementing 
where they're making mistakes, all that. And then I teach them again and we'd go back and forth. That's actually my training. And then, then they call no calls, no contacts. They, they just simply got the list from the list provider and put it into the, the, to the CRM. And it was literally, I was there listening to three different reps out of order, wrong number, company has moved, company's not in the area, that guy's dead, he doesn't work there anymore. You know, that was what they're calling. Before you even try to start doing the numbers game approach, you got to have a list that's qualified. And so that's what I did in the book. I talk about how the company, you know, nobody has qualifiers. You know, they buy the list and you qualify. Here's the phone book, <laughs> right? Nobody invests in, in process management, which is a great concept, right? Specialization. What do but, you, what uh, do you recommend? Because I, I agree with you, right? I'm all about quality data, right? And you can buy it, right? We, we know that there are better data sources out there. Um, you know, I think, I think ZoomInfo is the one most folks are using these days. But how else can you qualify the list? Um, or, or is that what it is that you're, you really just have to find a reputable vendor? Uh, no, I gave up on it. I ran a call center for 13 years. And I know about ZoomInfo. They're, they're, they're pretty good. But it's not perfect. Because believe it or not, even as of today, uh, there's a percentage of those people that have already quit. Just oh, last sure. Yeah. So I like before I mail anything out on a list and then call, I want that thing called the prior week. So when I had my own company, I hired qualifiers. I had one, two, three, and up to five people that just qualified lists in one room. And I had cold callers in the other room that once we got a list up to 100, we ran that over to them and they start calling it. And it was that process of qualifying call. I, what, and, meant, what meant qualifying the number? Meaning that person just still worked there? Thanks, hang up? Or, you know, are you the guy that I'm upset with for the robocalls I get like that now? Uh, no, what I do is I, I call uh, to verify the address. That's how we call. I call to verify the address. And everybody will verify the address. Law firms, accounting firms, you know, 90% will say they'll give you the address. You know, a very small number will say, why do you want the address? You know, that's the anomaly. Uh, but you verify the address, then I just say, ask different questions like, um, well, I want to get this information out and I'll tell them it's financial, a financial matter. I want to get this out. This is going to be for your CFO. Now, do you, are you applying this in your own coaching and teaching business and practice? I, I presume, does it differ at all as you go about, you know, selling your services as opposed to when you were selling, you know, a, a tangible product? Elsewhere, I'm trying, I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine this. Like, okay, the three of us are all you know solopreneurs. Like, let's go get on the phone and cold call you know companies that might make sense for each of us. Does the same kind of process and, and logic still apply? And are you eating your own dog food, so to speak? Yeah. It's either you're going to do it yourself, or you're going to have somebody else do it. That's that's it. Now, I've had people in the Philippines I've contracted to do this as well. So that's another you know you have to teach them the script and have them do it. So you can outsource it if you're a solopreneur. You can do it yourself, uh, or you can basically hire somebody to do it for you. But that, it's that simple. I ask for the address, and I'll say, I want a it's financial matter. I want to get this to the right person. Can I, I want to address this to somebody to make sure they get it. Who, who, what name can I put here? Well, I told them I'm, it's financial, and I you know, usually get to the CFO, and they give me a name, and I say, can you spell it? And I get it all spelled out, and I just got the contact name. Now, the key is after I do that, I want to make sure, um, is this your main location, I ask people? Is this your corporate office? Boom. That right there, there's lots of valid information on, on, on in databases. 
but it's in Kalamazoo, not in Detroit where your company's located. You, think of all the time a rep could call, spend tracing down that CEO. Finally, after weeks, get them on the phone, pitch them. I've seen this so many times. They pitch them. The guy's interested. They set up a meeting, and when they verify the address, he's in Kalamazoo. They're like, oh, oh, we don't serve Kalamazoo. Waste of time deflating the sales rep. I mean, that's like the worst thing that could happen to a sales rep is to do all that, get that appointment. So I, ver I verify that it's, it's the corporate office where it's at. And then I'll say, but how many, how many employees there, by the way? So what I'm doing is it's, it's sort of the, uh, I forget the guy, the, the detective. Uh, one more thing. <laughs> I go in with the easiest little thing of verifying the address and I just get a little bit more, a little bit more. And yeah. it's like, oh, one more thing, one more thing. And then finally I've got the email. I got the email of the guy. I got it all. So that's verified. So I know, I know the guy is the CFO. I know the address is verified. I know he's there, right? And so I can give that to a rep and they're going to call that and that's, that's worth following up on. What, you know, what compelled you to write a book? You know, Scott's, Scott's working through his second. I'm slogging through my first to get it out. Um, what compelled you to, to take that plunge? I, since I was a child, I wanted to be an author. Uh, actually, when I was in high school, I actually wrote a children's book and tried to get that published. I was always, I've always wanted to be an author. And then I, but the problem is I didn't believe that I was an author because I go back, I always go back to belief. Belief is so fundamental. Before you, you could do all kinds of things. Unless you believe you could do it, you will never take the final step to do it. It prevents you. And so I finally believed that I was an author. And so then it, then it was, uh, what am I going to write about? And so um, that's when I started thinking about what I can. I had some grandiose ideas I was going to write about. And then I thought, you know what? Let me write about what I know. I remember this guy I sold in the, uh, in the security industry. I used to sell uh, CCTV equipment. And the one thing he said, he always said, do what you know. <laughs> he said that all the time. Do what you know. Do what you know. And I was like, so what do I know? And I know cold calling. And so I thought about it because when you write about it, you got to write about something special, right? You want to write about something that could change the world, something amazing. And I started realizing even after running the cold, because this monitor cold calling is dead, right? So, so, so but go, back, go back to, like you said, all your life, you wanted to be a writer. What, what did, where did that, do you even know where that came from? Was there something, were you an avid reader as a kid? Were you one of those kids who read all the time? Or is it, you'd had a desire to teach to the masses? Like what made you want to even be a writer? long before you became a salesperson. Back to the future. How so? Uh, remember the end of the movie? Uh, when, when, uh, when Marty goes back and changes his parents' lives, right. he comes back and uh, Biff, Biff comes in with the, your, your books are here. Right. Your books are right. here. Uh, and he became an author and, and then he holds up the book and says, see son, you can do anything you put your mind to, you know. Uh, that scene is, uh, and I just shared a post, I don't know, it's about a year ago, telling people that's why this is what motivated me to want to be an author. But that, uh, that scene affected me quite a bit. But what was, what is one part of the authoring a book process that you wish you knew before you started that you didn't? Um, don't spend money with people who say they can make you a number one bestseller. Tell me more about that. I threw away over $20,000 with different groups that promised me the world of they're going to make me a best-selling author and do all this stuff for me. 
And um, that was my hardest love. One of the companies that went was in Oklahoma, claimed to be a Christian company. Uh, and they were raided by the FBI. Their assets were seized and they were indicted. Um, and they actually held the, they actually held oh. the rights to my book. And so I wanted, I wanted my money back, but they were in court. It was held up and they sent me letters saying that they would release me my title if I released them from uh, obligations of the money they owed me, which I did because I, I wanted my book back so I could get it published rather than wait 10 years for the title. Was this, was it was part of your goal to like, you know, sell a million copies? Like was that, was that part of the mission? Like I'm writing this book. I want as many people as possible to read it or, or was there something different? My, my impetus for writing the book was not, Oh, I want to sell a million copies. So I'm, I'm curious if, that like I didn't put forth that effort to you know spend the money to get it out there as much to just kind of let it do whatever it's going to do. I'm curious what what your goal was and is still. I have multiple goals. Nothing happens, you know. It's just like nothing happens unless there's more than one reason to do it, right? Nobody goes on vacation in a certain place because of one reason, you know, or nobody moves locations across the earth or starts a business unless there's five to ten reasons to do it. Um, and so, you know, definitely I wanted to, uh, for me, I love teaching people. Like I have, I, I, I wakeboard and it took me a long time to learn how to wakeboard. And so I take people on my boat and I have a 90% training rate of teaching them how to get up on the wakeboard, no matter who it is. And I'm proud of it. In fact, I tell people if they're, if they're not getting it, I was like, you're going to ruin my rate. <laughs> I, I bet you actually have a spreadsheet. I bet you have a spreadsheet that shows that 90% rate somewhere, right? He's cherry, he's cherry picking leads, Richard. He, yeah. he, you're going to bring down his number if you go out there. And yeah, if I go out there, I'm going to ruin you, right? So. Oh, I could teach you how to get up. Absolutely, because it's all counterintuitive. All the get up, it's staying up that's the problem, right? Like, I need yeah. you to teach me how to stay up. <laughs> but getting up is the hardest part, because a lot of people, they're out for the weekend. Uh, they're not an avid wakeboarder. They just want to go to a friend's next week and say, hey, I got up on the wakeboard, right? That's the low-hanging fruit. And if I can deliver that to the people that go with me, they leave happy. So I love that. But, but to your point, though, when I train somebody this – when I train people on how to cold call, um, I had earlier versions. Years earlier, I made videos, and, I get, and some people bought it. And I went and trained this guy, and I watched his career. I, they brought me out afterwards, and I sat with him, and it was like listening to me. I mean, literally, he – took everything I said and implemented it like I had done it myself. And I was like, man, you are freaking awesome. Um, then we went out and I followed him in the cells, you know, to do presentations. And he literally took his cap, you know, I'd say the telemarketer hat, not the sales hat. Salespeople overqualify, right? You got to be the telemarketer and underqualify and then put the sales cap on and then overqualify when you, you show up, right? He did everything perfectly. And I watched his career. He left that IT company. He, finally he became an owner of an IT company. So, you know, training somebody is the most joyous thing I could ever do. You know, when I see them spread their wings and take off and help people, but the problem is people don't want help. <laughs> it's a, this guy, uh, in terms of like becoming big, you know, and, and selling millions of copies of book and all that stuff, this IT company that uh, he has like a hundred locations, he told me that you have to be famous before people will ask for your help. If you're not famous, then people don't, they don't want your help. You're nobody. <laughs> Once you become famous, then everybody wants your help. You know, like the people that call up Grant Cardone or whatever all the time. 
You're on mute, Richard. I know. You don't have to tell me anymore. I know. <laughs> he just likes to pick on me. It's the only thing. I'm just thing waiting for the day that you realize you're on mute and stop doing this every now and then. Dude, I'm impatient for success. I'm in sales. <laughs> I don't worry about details. So, if you guys, Tom, I, there was one other point I wanted to cover. If we have time. Oh, sure, go for it. Yeah. So it goes back to that story of Jay Riggins. It's the the biggest obstacle for me to set 15 appointments. When everybody there set two, I ask people, what what's the difference? Why was I able to set 15? How was I able to do that? Why did they only set two a day? They only set two a day because they were finding a need. Right now we know, I've, I was on the Donald Kelly show and he threw these numbers around like there's only a small percentage in any market given time where people, someone actually knows they have a need. Uh, it's a small number. Now finding that on the phone calling is even harder, right? So if I was going to start setting 15 appointments a day and had the same resources that they had, would I have magical abilities to go out there and find 15 more people or, or 10 more that had a need? Would that be the path to setting more appointments? So to, to, that's the question. So what happened is when I worked at Jay Riggins, I realized that everybody came in and they said, um, I can help you. And they would say, uh, I'm just looking, I'm just looking. And so I was able to become the greatest salesman in, at Jay Riggins in all the stores in the company uh, because I would say, great, let me show you something to look at. And I would take them back to the cell we had and I would just take every, people were dumbfounded because they had only prepared up to, I'm just looking. <laughs> they didn't have any more material, right? So when I just glazed over that and said, great, they were shocked. And then they were dumbfounded. And when somebody's shocked and dumbfounded, they're easily malleable. And so I was able to just bring them back, motion them to come back. And the guys that could size them up, you know, you're a 44, regular. You're a 42, short, you know, that kind of thing. And before they could blink, I'd have a coat on them. Walk them over to the mirror. And here's what would happen. When I put them in the mirror... I tell people there was a magical moment. I was waiting for something. It was one of two things could happen. Either they really came in and they were just looking for something, like one thing, or they didn't have anything. They were, they were just browsing. They didn't have anything they were looking for. The people that were just looking, they would get nervous with that coat on and say, man, I just came in here for a pair of socks. I'd get the coat off, get them socks, get them out. The people who didn't have a need, right, who were really just looking, those are the people I sold everything to. Those are the people who bought jackets. and I mean, I would just sell them. They like the jacket, and you got pants, shirt, and tie free. And But well, by the way, this tie looks great with that. And how about this shirt and all that stuff, upselling them. And that carries over to prospects that say they're happy with what they have. It's the same mindset. And this, this is probably the most powerful thing that I could teach the audience. The only way to sell more, you can't find more need out there, right? Getting someone to realize that the need is the hard part. It's like golfing and it's that tiny little hole. Most people say they're happy with what they have when you call. That's the majority of the people. There's a few that say they're not interested. Very rarely you do find someone says, I'm glad you called. We're looking for that service. The rest, the huge market is I'm happy with what I have. And that's where I set all my appointments because they're not saying no. That's the thing. They haven't even said anything about looking or they're just, they're happy with what they have. Wonderful. I'm glad you're happy. And so my, my whole approach is, and the thing that I want to get to the world, you asked me what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the world to realize 
that they can, everybody in the service and many other industries can sell more dramatically more by targeting the prospects that say they're happy with what they have. Can you sell those people? Right? Well, that was the story of SATA systems where I helped to make his first million. The thing we tied up on is that we, he was rare and that he believed that he could sell people who didn't have a need. I believed it. I knew I could get appointments for people like that. Is this a, is this a difference? Is this a differentiator for you between like good salespeople and great salespeople? Can you sell people who say they're good with what they have or don't have a need? Yeah. Only a true salesman. A true salesman is somebody who can sell somebody who's happy with what they have, but open-minded. That's the key. Are you open-minded? Yes. Boom. That's my prospect. And I have to go out there and sell that person. When I call and find someone has a need and I go out there and simply present our solution, I am an order taker, nothing more than an order taker. And that's most salespeople that I've talked to running my cold call company for 13 years are not salespeople. They don't know anything about selling. <clears throat> the only true salespeople say this guy, uh, Tony Sapion, he runs a nearly $100 million company now. Um, he deals directly, uh, software programs directly with Google, um, directly with them. He got that concept that he could sell to people that didn't have a need. And that's just to give you an example of how this works. I set an appointment with a law firm for Tony. When I called in, I talked to the office manager. And then she said, we're happy with our current IT company, right? Like every call. The course I proceeded, we had something innovative. And I told her, I'm, I know you're happy. I know you're not going to change, right? Uh, you cushion. That's one of the techniques I learned at MBA America is to cushion people. Repeat back. I know you're not looking. I know you're not looking to change. You set them at ease. I'm not trying to change. You're never going to change. But let me ask you, have you heard of this new concept? Just curious. Do you keep your options open? If there was something better out there, would you want to know about it? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, have you heard of that? He did manage 25 years ago. He came up with this idea of managed services for IT. He wasn't the only one. It was few people who did it. Everybody else would do blocks of time or by the hour. And it was break fix. Anyway, so I told her about this idea. She was interested in the fact it was so new that she didn't believe it existed. She's like, I don't think any company would do a flat fee like that for IT support. Right, I got I to gotta interrupt you, David, because so, you, you'll go from one story to the next without stopping. <laughs> so, which I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you that. Um, who are the people that, that you look up to? Who, what kind of things do you like to read as you're, you know, as you're trying to keep educating yourself? Or have, you, or have you gotten to that point where it's like you don't want to read people because you don't want to accidentally take their idea kind of a thing. Uh, the Go-Giver. Uh, I'm writing a book uh, about giving. So I have not read his book so that I don't take any information from him. Uh, but the books I've read, I love Seven Habits of Highly Effective uh, People is one of my favorite. Uh, How to Win Friends and uh, Influence People. The Power of Habit. Uh, it's, I have a story we can't get into about that. Um, but I've read a lot of books. My favorite subject, it's not really about selling. <clears throat> Malcolm Gladwell, I've read all of his books. Yeah. I, I find him to be absolutely profound in his way of thinking out of the box. Totally agree. I, I completely agree. And you can apply it. I mean, it's, it's life stuff that you can apply into sales easily. So I, I agree with you on, on his books. What, um, what do you think are the biggest mistakes you're seeing salespeople make these days? The biggest mistake? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say just generally speaking, the biggest mistake people make is uh, not believing, doubting, uh, because I talk about that. My book is about the subconscious mind as well. 
because that was that's what helped me get all these new ideas to change the way I cold called. By by the idea of talking in the mirror is simply to get that idea into my subconscious mind. Right. Once it's in my subconscious mind, then that takes over and starts filtering all the knowledge that I have that I've acquired and all new knowledge by one filter. How do you, have, more you read, have you read a lot of books around the subconscious mind? Like, or have you read methods of persuasion and some of those kinds of things? Or, or did you just sort of figure it out for yourself that this is how it works for you? Um, I read, uh, wake the giant, uh, Tony Robbins. Um, I've read some of, uh, um, there's some other books I've read about that were more obscure uh, yeah. books. I've read several uh, books about it and now I've read even more about it. So, but <clears throat> the thing that for me that it, I had to believe in it is this is my point is when I would go around and give talks about the subconscious mind and about, about uh, uh, having a mantra or doing a vision board and all this stuff, right? I would ask people by a show of hands and I'd be at chambers and I'd be like, how many, how many people here have read uh, Tony Robbins work? And then this book and that book about the subconscious mind and everybody would raise their hand. And then I'd say, how many people here have a mantra or they have, they claim their, their goals in the morning. No, but no hands go up. How many people here have a vision board and no hands go up, go up. And so by, and I did that all over the country. I had the same talk uh, in Detroit in um, Los Angeles, Arizona, all over the same thing happened. And in fact, and that's what I realized is that people are reading all these books about the subconscious mind and very few people are taking action. I agree with you there. That, that happens everywhere. So I know tons of people who've read Scott's book and they don't take any action. So yeah, uh, Something happens for me. Um, I was driving to that old job at CS, uh, CSI. I quit and I had a new job. And so I left my house thinking of, uh, I'm going to drive to CSI, different part of town in Dallas. Uh, I'm driving to this other place. And so I'm going here, but I meditate all the time. Right. And so I'm meditating and I end up at CSI. I end up in the parking lot. I get out and I'm like, how in the hell did I end up at CSI when I was supposed to go here on the other side of town? And that's prior to me writing this book. And I realized <clears throat> what we now know from the power of habit, that the Brazil ganglia in the back processes habit. And when I wasn't engaging, the, ha the old habit took over. And I had a habit of going there for five years. I went to CSI. And so that habit took over. And for me, that was proof that my subconscious mind had power over me. What I want to shift completely because we, we need to wrap up. But um, you, you'd said you'd share this. And, and I, I think it's for the listeners who want to know, you know, you, you've recently uh, come out of, you know, diagnosed of, of no longer having COVID. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you said you wanted to share a little bit about the experience so people can understand, you know, hopefully nobody we know gets it or listens. Hopefully it'll go away. Uh, but what were some of the things you learned about, uh, about just treating yourself in that time? Well, for me, I wasn't afraid of it because I have allergies. I mean, just literally walking outside and breathing the air. I could end up with the effects of COVID. That's how, I mean, I, pneumonia, all that. That's just my daily life. I could end up with pneumonia tomorrow uh, without COVID. So I wasn't afraid of it. Um, and what I learned was that it's not to be scared as much as we people were terrified by it. Um, and I was a little terrified when I got it, but uh, I treated it with Dayquil, NyQuil, which is, you buy it in the store. 
my idea was that the symptoms of, of COVID are the, the mucus that it forms, which is the same thing with allergies. It forms mucus. My body detects some allergen as a virus and coats it with mucus. And my body overcoats it. And I could get uh, infections in my ear. I could get a chest infection, which is pneumonia. And people are dying of COVID of pneumonia. So you take Dayquil, NyQuil, the severe, you have to look, they're different, the one that says severe. Um, but then you could take allergy pills on top of that, which dries up mucus. And I would take Dayquil and like two allergy pills. Uh, the key, I dry up all the mucus. And so I don't go to bed and that does a drain around in my chest, and my ears, and then get infected. Uh, so once I had done that, uh, then I just took uh, Ester C vitamins. But a lot of people downplay vitamins, which taking one vitamin doesn't do much. But if you massively take more doses, um, you, it can have an effect, a dramatic effect on you. And I took six uh, vitamin C pills three times a day, Ester C, but I don't, I don't say it right. Uh, Inkadesha, I don't know how to say that. It's a natural medicine. Echinacea. Echinacea, yeah. Uh, but I would take that six times, uh, six pills, six times a day, and ALJ, six pills, six times, and vitamin B uh, and zinc. But um, if you have time, I'll just, a quick story why I believe that, because we talk about belief, right? Why do I believe that that works? Is it worked on me? Uh, and I'm, I'm negative. I'm negative. And uh, my, my doctor nurse that lives next door doesn't believe it. <laughs> he doesn't believe it. But uh, my, my brother years ago was in the hospital real quick. Um, and he was dying of an infection in his chest because he was a swimmer. Uh, he got a bacteria or something in his chest. And he was literally dying and they weren't helping him. My dad took him out of the hospital and uh, they, when he told them, they said, you can't take him out, but he already did. And he said, no, I've already taken him out. And the nurse said, okay, if you're going to, what do you plan on doing? He said, I'm going to hire a home nurse. And she said, okay, then this is what you should give him. And she wrote a prescription out for thousand grams of vitamin E, thousand grams of vitamin C. She basically was saying to give him massive doses of vitamins. And my dad did that. He hired a home nurse. I remember walking and seeing those, those bags and the intravenous stuff. And it was all these vitamins, high doses. It was two weeks later, he was fine. So for me, I believed in it. So it's not the cure-all, but, uh, and people could have worse symptoms when you're older. I'm, I'm, I'm 46. Uh, if you're 70, 50, if you're in your high 60s, I still would go to the doctor. But a lot of people aren't even taking Dayquil. We picked up my niece who was really, really sick of COVID. And we asked her, you know, are you taking Dayquil? She hadn't even taken Dayquil. So that's, that, that's my COVID experience. Well, thank you for sharing. And by, by all means, like, let's, let's make sure everybody knows none of us are, are medically professionals. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not please, a doctor. That's just my experience. Please, please educate yourself. Um, but it is, it is interesting. And we're glad you're feeling better. Um, I certainly don't want anybody to ever get this or have to go through it. So, yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing that story. Um, you know, we always sort of wrap up, um, you know, with asking the question of, you know, how can we be of help of, to you? What can we do to, to answer any questions for you around anything? Um, I could use a million dollars. Couldn't we all? I thought you had to. <laughs> no, I, used, I used to say that that's one of my lines. Because um, to get past gatekeepers, it's distracting them. And I would, I would totally ask, say stuff like that, and they wouldn't even know what they're – it's going to help you. And I was like, I use a million dollars, you know, I, the rest of the day off. And they would be so distracted. And I'd say, oh, by the way, can you try uh, Richard's line for me? Boom. But uh, help me. Um, hey, just this podcast. 
is fantastic, man. That's that's uh, unbelievable. The opportunity, I really appreciate it. And uh, I, I was I've learned about you guys a little bit. Uh, I was going to go into that. You know, Scott uh, being just getting sick at an early age and being in the hospital for years, yeah, uh, was very motivational. And you came out behind everybody and then shot out ahead of everybody. So that's huge. And then your experience selling uh, ads, um, you know, selling ads. And, you know, I loved seeing that story. I think, was that Andy, Paul, was, were y'all both interviewed by him? We were. Yeah. Yeah. We've done, yeah. we've done a few uh, podcasts where they have both of us on at the same time. It's kind of, yeah. kind of yeah, fun. Absolutely. I'm going to be on Andy Paul's uh, here in a few weeks too. So I'm looking forward to that. Great. But uh, yeah, if you could get um, my, my website, I want to give my book out free. Sure. <laughs> With sure. a bunch of uh, extra bonuses and stuff. Uh, just pay for shipping. It's uh, Great. simply. Well, Tell, tell everybody how to get in touch with you so they can take advantage of your, uh, your offer here. Yeah. So it's just get book offer, get book Very simple. Um, and it's also on Amazon, um, audible and, uh, iTunes, but, uh, with get book offer. That's where you can get connected with all the videos that I have. And I find that more people, uh, may not read the buy book, maybe not read it, but if they have videos, they'll watch them and you can watch them over and over and over again. And that's how you're going to take action. Cool. Well, thanks again, David. We really appreciate it. And again, we need to give a shout out to our sponsor, Lead411, um, who's doing very compelling and interesting things around helping you get, to David's point, more qualified leads. Uh, also looking for intent and interest um, in terms of those people you're trying to get a hold of. So trying to give you a little bit more of that market intelligence. So check out Lead411. But David, thanks again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much.